Hi and welcome back to our daily devotion. Today I've entitled my sharing, The Faces of Desperation and Despair. Let's look right away at the passage, Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 38. Let us pray. Father, allow us to see our surroundings, see the crowds, the people around us, the way Jesus saw them. That as Jesus ministered, you will touch our hearts to have the same compassion, the same realization of our authority, and then to minister as Jesus did. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus caught up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then the woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These few Verses that we read tell us some stories about healing. But I will not be talking about healing today. I will leave that for a later date. But I just want you to know that I do believe in healing. I have experienced it myself. I have seen it in others. I've heard many stories of divine healing. And it is my hope that as we engage in the Lord's work, we will see more and more incidents of healing within our church, that we will push the boundaries of what we have seen, what we have experienced, and believe that God can do far more through us. 
But that's for another day. Today I want to look at us to look at faces of desperation and despair and Jesus' response to that. Each of these stories tell us something about the despair, the hopelessness, or the desperation that the people felt. We start with the synagogue leader. The leader of the synagogue is supposed to be the one who does, who draws people to God, who brings God to people, and therefore he is the one who has the miracles. But for a synagogue leader who is the one who is in charge of healing and ministries, he suddenly felt that he was impotent, that he could not heal his own daughter. Perhaps in his own experience he had seen too few miracles. God was silent, God had been silent for many years, and as he went on laboring for God, leading his synagogue, somehow God didn't seem to be with him. And so when he heard that there was a man, just a common man, not a clergy, not a leader of any synagogue, just a common man healing, he was desperate to see God's hand again. After all, it was his own daughter that had died. But he himself, the leader of the synagogue, could do nothing to save his daughter. But here he heard of a man who could heal. And he rushed over to him. It's a big thing for a leader of a church, leader of a synagogue, to go down to a common man to ask him, Can you do the work of God and heal my daughter? This man had a seed of hope that God is powerful, that God is present, that God loves, that God works miracles. He himself did not have it. But when he heard that Jesus had it, he ran to Jesus, knelt before him and pleaded with Jesus, come and heal my daughter. We see here a synagogue that had long not experienced God's presence and God's power. But the leader who still hoped and longed to see God at work. And then this story was interrupted by a woman. A woman who was subject to 12 years of bleeding. But this woman was too shy to run up to Jesus. There were others who came to Jesus. There were others who were persistent, who knelt before Jesus. But this woman was so timid, she didn't even dare to approach Jesus. And yet she had hope. She had hope and faith that if she just touched the outer sides, if she just went to the outer side of the crowd and just touched this cloak, just one touch, something might happen. There might be a miracle. You know, there are many people like this woman on the fringe, a face of despair too. They are the underprivileged, underprivileged in many ways. They are the ones who stand at the corners, at the edges of the crowds, not daring to come and boldly seek help. They suffer in silence. Their dreams are, have very low ceilings. And they dare not hope for anything more. Some time ago, I was helping a friend who was the chairman of the community centre. He was promoting a programme and... I joined him to 
visit uh, one-room flat dwellers. And I noticed that in that block there were lots of young families, parents of young children. And one of the questions then that I asked, this was personal and out of curiosity, you know that there is a tuition centre, free tuition centre, just a few blocks away, I told them. Do you send your children there? Almost all of them said no. And I said, but the tuition centre is so close to your house. Why don't you take them? And they just looked at me blankly and they said, a bit too far. I have no time to send them. Here was a loss of hope. They didn't think that their children could go any better, even with the tuition. My wife Jeannie worked in a social service centre for some years. This centre was just across the road from one of the most notorious and low schools of the lowest standards. And as she talked to the students, she found that they had very little hope, very little ambition. There was one student who excelled, who did better. And yet as she spoke with, spoke with him, I was surprised that even he had a very low bar for himself. It was almost like the ceiling had gone so low that they were crushed by the ceiling. They saw little hope for themselves. I, on the other hand, was a pastor of Barker Road, and we had, um, and I was also the chaplain of ACS. And there, the students were no smarter than those in this school. And yet, when we talked about hope and dreams and ambitions, they had lots of them. And that's the difference between the privileged and the underprivileged. They may have the same brain, same ability, same gifts. But one saw hope and ambition that they could rise. The other couldn't see themselves as having, going very far, having any hope at all. The ceiling was so low, it crushed them. Like that woman who didn't dare even to come to Jesus to ask him for help, just grabbed, grasped at any bit of hope that she could find. But you know, in Barker Road campus, we also have a hostel called Odom Hall. And Odom Hall started as a hostel for scholars, for ASEAN scholars and for foreigners. But we also had a program called the Hope Fund, where we accepted students from very broken homes, students who couldn't live in their homes anymore and had to find alternative lodging. These were secondary school students and they joined the other borders in the hostel. We started with just a handful and now we have more than 20 of them at any one time. One of the things we found was that the ones who excelled, really excelled were these students from the Hope Fund. Students from very broken homes, but once given a little bit of hope, they saw that they could really fly. Just two years ago, our first president of the student council came from was one of the hope fund recipients this young man had come from a very broken home abusive parents we had rescued him and placed him in the hostel and then he saw hope he saw a future before him and he, he could rise from where he was his ceiling was lifted like this woman who saw an opportunity to just touch the cloak of Jesus. She too had hope. And Jesus said, it will be done 
by your faith, your faith has healed you. Do we see many people who have living at the fringes with very little hope? But they've just given a glimmer. Something may happen to their lives. And then we go back to the original story of the synagogue leader. And so Jesus went to his house. People were mourning there, making a lot of noise. And Jesus told them, now will you please leave? This girl isn't dead. And the people laughed at him. The people laughed at him. They laughed because they had not seen any miracle for a long time. These were probably the friends, the leaders, the church leaders, the synagogue members of this synagogue leader. They were probably the whole group of his best friends, his mourners, probably from the community in the synagogue. But they had not seen any action from God. When they hear, when they heard something like, this girl is not dead, she's just sleeping, the only response was to laugh cynically at Jesus. How could this ever be? We have not seen anything like that. We have not heard of any miracle. How can there ever be such hope? These people had lost hope in God. For too long, they had not seen God at work. They could not believe that God would be at work. And then we move on to two blind men. Two blind men who were the most persistent, I would say almost obnoxious, such a nuisance. It says in verse 27, As Jesus went on there, from there two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. My goodness, you can't shake these men. I mean, imagine you trying to minister and two men just shouting and shouting, Have mercy upon us, have mercy on us, come and heal us. Jesus just couldn't shake them off. I don't know. Sometimes we find such people a real nuisance. Wish they would shut up. Wish they would keep quiet and wait their turn. Wish they would be polite. But these two men weren't too desperate to be polite. They were blind and they needed to be healed and they didn't care that there were others. What was worse was that when Jesus went indoors, they followed him. I mean, when you talk about going indoors, you talk about privacy. You talk about having your own inner sanctum, a sanctuary somewhere where they could, Jesus could hide and rest. And there these men didn't, didn't respect boundaries. Not only were they shouting out loudly on the streets, when Jesus went in to seek shelter and rest, these guys just burst in and walked into the house. We have often experienced a number of such people. They don't make great company, they don't make great people to minister to. They're persistent, they're rude, they're inconsiderate, they think only of their discomfort and their needs. They don't think about needs of the others. The others were queuing up, lining up for their turn, and these men were just shouting away, have mercy, heal us, heal us ahead of the others. And then when you want some privacy, Maybe you want some time to pray and worship God. Maybe you just want to hide inside the sanctuary and have a proper, decent church service. And these guys are still there, clamoring for hope. But Jesus didn't see them as nuisance. Jesus saw them as men who were desperate, but men 
who believed. Men who saw that there was hope for their lives and weren't prepared to be polite to let it pass them. They were men who were desperate faces of the desperate. And they wanted Jesus. And Jesus did not turn them away. He asked them, do you really believe? Do you believe I can do it? He said, of course we can. We do. We do believe. Jesus said, it will be done according to your faith. Jesus respected the desperate. He saw that behind their inconsiderate behavior, behind their shouting and loud noises and their breaching privacy and all that, he saw men who needed hope and who saw hope and who ran after hope. Do we see that too in our community, in our church? And then there was a man who was demon-possessed. Jesus healed him. But when news of this spread to the Pharisees, the Pharisees said, Jesus heals by demons because he is the prince of demons. Our reaction is, this is blasphemy. But when we think of it from their point of view, they had for so long not seen anything good, not seen demons cast out, not seen hope, not seen healing, not seen the hand of God, the action of God. They had grown cynical and they had despaired and they didn't see God capable of doing anything at all. And so when they heard of man being delivered from demons, the only thing they could think about was it couldn't be God. If it isn't God, it must be the devil. Faces of desperation and despair. But could this also be a parable of our church, of Agape, and of the community around us? Could it be that for a long time we have ceased to see the hand of God, the power of God, the action of God? Sometimes it's hard to, to know despair. It's more like, well, we, we live life as usual, business as usual. We just go on. Church is still the gathering place could be, may not be exciting anymore. We try to excite ourselves with socials and with projects. But basically, we, what we miss most is the hand of God, the power of God, the presence of God. And all around there is the community in the church and outside the church, full of desperation, longing for God to be present, longing for a shepherd, for God to be our shepherd once again. And the good news is that God is present with us. Let me tell you a story about a church called the Church of the Saviour. It's in the outskirts of Washington, D.C. You know, the very common view of Washington, D.C. is that it's one of the cleanest, most beautiful areas in the United States. We see the capital city, the capital building and and the surroundings, the plaza and all that, um, well manicured gardens. 
but just several miles outside of this beautiful capital of the United States of America are the slums. Neighboring just adjacent to Washington DC in the south is Virginia. Virginia is so different from Washington DC. While studying the states, my family and I went to visit Washington DC and because we couldn't afford the hotels in DC, nor the hotels in Maryland that's north, much nicer ones, we settled in the slum area of Virginia. And my, was this a mess. Throughout the day, every day, we heard the sirens of ambulances and police cars. When you hear sirens like that, you know it's a city in trouble. Either there's crime or there are people who are sick and dying. One day I visited McDonald's just a few blocks away from my motel. It was quite an experience in just one experience. First, as I entered, there was a big sign that said, No loitering, eat your food and leave right away. 15 minutes was given to have a meal and leave. But no one was observing these signs. They were just seated there. And then there was this um, um, drinks for, for self-service, um, vending of drinks. And again, right on top of, that, of the drink machines was the sign for customers only. And then I saw a girl, probably not more than 10 years old, carrying a two-liter bottle, empty bottle, walking from outside. Clearly, she had not bought anything, but she just walked straight from outside, went to the drink machine and filled her two-liter bottle with soda, and then she walked out. And then there was a table where a man and a woman were angrily scolding and shouting at each other. It was probably either the girlfriend or the wife, but the woman was enraged at the man's infidelity and was shouting at how, he, how unfaithful he was. And then suddenly he reached into his pocket and took out a revolver and slammed it on the table. Almost all of us in the McDonald's fled. I ran as fast as I could, worried that there would be a shooting. But such was the city in Virginia. Violent, despairing, desperate, poor. And there was this church, the Church, the church of the Saviour in Washington, D.C. It was a small church, congregation of a hundred people. But I've heard and I read that this church had a hospital, had a school, had a vocational institute for the unemployable, they had a drug rehab centre, they had a homeless shelter. How could a congregation of 100 people, 100 members, have ministries so large? And so we visited it. We found the history that each of these large ministries started with no big plans, no big dreams, just started small. The school, for example, it was a school teacher who saw many children who weren't going to school and she gathered them and she taught them and then a few other teachers came along and helped and soon it started to grow and they had to find new premises and year by year they grew until it became a school for the children of the poor the hospital was just as remarkable it was 
a doctor and a nurse who decided to help some of the street people to find treatment. They couldn't afford medical care and so they provided free medical care. And then other doctors and other nurses came along and then they discovered that just people, just doctors and nurses weren't going to help many people. They bought a respirator for emergencies. And soon they had an operating theatre because they found that surgery was necessary. And then they found bigger premises. And then it became a hospital. The vocational institute was started to help the unemployable and the unemployed to teach them some skills, low-level skills like parking attendants, like cleaners. But the remarkable thing about this vocational institute was that the people, the students, the graduates from this school were in great demand. They were competent and they had the best work ethic. Those who came from this school did not skip work. They went to work diligently and employers were always looking for graduates of this institute. All of this started because the hundred members believed that God could work miracles. And they gathered at a nearby cafe every Sunday and they talked, they shared their dreams. And they thought, well, there is a need here. There are hungry people there. There are desperate people. Let's do something about them. Small, tiny beginnings that soon became powerful ministries. Let me share a little bit about this podcast too. I had known that I had been in touch with Vincent Lee for since I left 15 years ago. Every year we'd meet about twice over a meal. And so I was quite kept current about the things that were going on in Agape. And when I heard that I was going to be posted back to Agape, started to think and pray about what the needs of this church were. And one of the things I realized was we needed to know Jesus, to know God through Jesus. So I thought, okay, the gospels will be fine. And I planned to preach every week. That was already very daunting because um, preaching every week is exhausting. But as I looked at the Gospels and I said, I can't just be picking up excerpts. I have to teach every story there is in the Gospel. and How else to teach but to do it every day? But just preaching every week was crazy enough to preach every day was sheer madness. But something in me said, There is no greater joy than discovering Jesus together with others. That just finding out and learning about Jesus is the most exciting, most exhilarating thing you could ever have in life. And if I stop looking at it as having to preach every day, but rather as just knowing Jesus together with my congregation, perhaps it would feel differently. And indeed, it felt differently. Because not only do I enjoy this every day, it refreshes me, it gives me a lot of life just knowing Jesus, but I have time for a whole lot of other stuff, work and leisure. And then my dear colleague Chris Chong, he partnered me in writing out the reflection questions for each devotional. The other day he just said, even if nobody uses them, and please, I encourage you to use them for reflection. But he said, even if nobody uses them, I just love thinking about Jesus and thinking about these questions. And then we found that it's so enjoyable. 
And probably I will continue with this podcast after we finish Matthew and then we move on to Acts. But I'll find some partners, partners to join me in this, not so much because I find it exhausting, but simply because I think I would like to share this excitement with others. My ultimate goal is for all of you, the entire church, entire church to love learning about God, knowing God in real ways. And then we can do it together. We'll think of a way. But for today, I want you to think of this. Jesus went through the towns. In verse 35, it says that Jesus went proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing the sick. And then he saw the people like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Are we able to see people like that? Some could be right here in our church. Others could be right here in your family, in your neighbourhood. People who struggle with illness, with emotions, with brokenness, broken relationships, husbands and wives living in despair, not knowing how to find a better way out of the situations that they're in. And then we look beyond the church and we see the neighbourhood. Seniors who are afraid to die and yet unable to live on. Children with little opportunities. A ceiling of ambition so low can't go anywhere even though they have the abilities. Families that need help, need to find hope. They don't have to be poor, but they similarly need to find hope, to find a God who can help them, a God who loves them, a God who will be their shepherd. I want you then from today to start praying, to ask God, God, give me the eyes of compassion and help me to see people, whether in church or in the community, who are harassed and helpless, needing, like sheep, needing a shepherd. And as you see them, think of how you could be involved. As I said, I don't like big projects. I don't like grand projects. Just little things. Gathering a group of students that you can give tuition to. Giving some recreation like sports or dance. Getting into their lives. Gathering seniors for a drink. It could be in the church, it could be outside the church, it could be in the coffee shop, wherever. But first, gathering together as church members, you know we are very much like the Church of the Saviour. Despite COVID and social distancing, we are so privileged, we can gather all the time, just go downstairs, there are so many eateries around and you can sit down and talk. Talk in your DSGs, talk among yourselves as friends. What do you see in this community? And then ask if God is sending you as a labourer into this harvest field. The thing about God asking or God wanting to send labourers is that He doesn't send us unequipped. He sends us with power. He sends us with to do impossible things. Like the podcast, I mean, it still blows my mind how, how I enjoy it so much. And 
it is just God sending each of us out to do impossible things, things we thought could never be done. Because we are God's laborers into the harvest field, He will give you all the resources, the strength, the power, the time, everything you need to reach out. My phone number and my email address are in the on the website. I would be very happy if you would start writing to me and just sharing some of your ideas, sharing some of the things that you could do over the days, the weeks, the months, the years, that perhaps God has touched your heart and has asked you to start something that will bring hope to the desperate and to the despairing in our church and in our community. Let us pray. Father, there are so many people who need to know that your kingdom has come. The good news of your kingdom that you are active once again, that you are alive, that you are powerful, and most of all that you care for us. Each one of us, the ones who are rude and brazen and desperate for help, the ones who would stay by the fringe and not dare to seek help, the ones who have for so long not seen your hand that have given up hope. Each of these, Lord, you looked on with compassion and love and you want to minister to them. And then, Lord, you ask for labourers. Help us, Lord, speak to us that we may join in the labour force then you open our eyes to see and you open our hearts to feel. And then, Lord, you cause us to do the little bits that we can and allow you to grow whatever ministry there is. We don't need those big ambitions. We could start very small and God, just start using us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well then, I'll, we'll come back tomorrow and find out more about Jesus. Have a blessed day. Bye.